Good morning. Good to see you all here in person and everyone who's watching online. I saw the Prude Homes, Stapletons, my mom, Gail, um, Vanessa, Breezy. So anyways, it's great to see you guys this morning. And Ross, I missed. Uh, glad that you're joining us online today. Something we've been doing here, uh, not every Sunday, but a lot of Sundays, is just standing for the reading of God's Word. So if you're able, if you're comfortable, if you would uh, stand with us both at home and here for the reading of God's Word if uh, you are physically incapable of doing that, no worries at all. We don't want you to feel bad whatsoever to stay seating. But I'm just going to read uh, today's text out of John chapter 10. We've been journeying through the book of John, and we find ourselves now in chapter 10. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Would you stay standing as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. You are here. You are good. Sometimes we sing those words because we believe them with all our heart. And sometimes we sing those words as a prayer. To say, God, <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. So Jesus, we thank you that you are, are near to us, closer to us than the air we breathe. That as we, we walk through our lives and through the ups and downs, that you are there with us. So Jesus, I just pray right now, those of us in the room, those watching online, and all our many, many kids back in the kids' area, God, you just... Help us to, to know you're here, to be aware of how you're already working and to have open hearts and minds to allow you to do the deep work of just changing and transforming us. And Jesus, I pray right now that you just guide me as I teach out of your word to give me the right words that everyone would hear the message from you, God, that they need to hear. Thank you that you are good. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, again, welcome to Mosaic Church. We're so glad that you are here. A couple 
uh, years ago, I was out hiking, and uh, I actually love snowshoeing. Uh, anyone else uh, snowshoeing fans? I know the Stapletons, you guys are snowshoeers. Yeah. Um, snowshoeing around Minnesota is fun, but uh, I found I really love it in Colorado. And my in-laws, Kristen's parents, they live in Colorado, and so I've had the chance a couple times to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, one of my favorite places in the world. I'll usually rent some snowshoes. It's not that expensive up there, and go hiking. And there's this one hike in Rocky Mountain National Park that uh, is just very beautiful because we've done it in the summertime, done it in the fall, done it in the winter. You're hiking up to three different lakes as you ascend a couple thousand feet. I think you start at 10,000 and you end somewhere around 13 thousand feet. Well, a couple years back, uh, we were visiting Kristen's family, so I rented some snowshoes, and I was like, I'm going to go up there hiking, and there's always tons of people up there, so I just went by myself. It wasn't a big deal, but uh, as I came up to, um, I think it was Dream Lake, um, what I realized was the snow was so deep that all the signposts to tell you where to go were actually buried in the snow. Uh, so the snow is about five feet deep. And so uh, I got to one of the lakes. This is me uh, a couple years back. And again, you can see it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But normally you can see there's about three different trailheads. And so I, I knew where to go. But this time, uh, again, the snow was so deep that all the signposts were buried. And I thought, this is not a good idea to be out here alone. And, you know, with snowshoes, you can go anywhere. But you can easily go off the path. Well, I asked some people to take my picture just in case I died or something, you know. Uh, but I was there, and these four guys that I happened to meet just happened to be uh, four young men uh, in their mid to late 20s who had just finished their residency uh, at the Boulder Hospital. They were doctors, and their favorite thing to do was backcountry hiking. And so they're like, do you know where you're going? I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going. They're like, do you want us to be your guide? It's like, yes, please be my guide. And so I was able to follow them. And in case anything happened, I was with four doctors. So this was awesome. So we went all the way up. It was great. Back down, uh, got some food and drinks. And it was, it was really a, a great opportunity. But I would have been so lost if I didn't have a guide right there with me. See, Honestly, it didn't really matter that I had stopped at the ranger station before asking him about the, the depth of the snow and, you know, in getting a map and all those things. Like, the map was a little helpful. You know, the, the ranger in the ranger station was, was a little helpful. But having a guide right there with me, alongside me, made all the difference. Jesus in John 10 says that he is the good shepherd. The thing about shepherds is they're not just giving direction you know, from the ranger station or just handing out a map. The shepherds are there to walk with the sheep every step of the way. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean? Again, uh, we talk about this mosaic. We exist to help people love God, serve others, make disciples. What's a disciple? We say it's a follower of Jesus. Talmudim is the Hebrew word for that. And it's really this idea of an apprentice, someone who's walking uh, behind that person. There, there was an ancient saying in, in this first century context, excuse me, where they would say uh, to disciples of a rabbi, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that you're, you're following so closely behind your rabbi that his dust is following you. Uh, you would like follow them into the bathroom everywhere you go because you want to orient your life around your rabbi. If we are followers of Jesus, it's not just saying, hey, we believe in God. It's we want to orient our whole life around Jesus to be his disciples. And so we say, how do we do that? We, we, we want to spend time, we want to be with Jesus on a regular basis. Again, every morning, every night, what are you doing to, to be with Jesus? We want to become like Jesus. We're never going to hit this, this side of eternity. 
But we say, you know, out of all the influences in our life, our friends, our family, the things we read, the things we listen to, the things we watch, we want Jesus to be the dominant influence, to say, that's my true north. You know, I'm 41, uh, and my hope is at 70. I'm much more like Jesus then than I am now. I hope I'm kinder. I'm more compassionate. I have more patience. I have more peace more gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is more evident in my life at 70 than it is at 41. That's my hope. And then we want to do what Jesus did. You know, when we read through these gospel accounts that Jesus brought healing, that Jesus brought compassion, that Jesus is the light of the world. How can we do those same things in our context today? So real quick, we've just been highlighting kind of just Previously on Mosaic Church, uh, John 1, we, we kicked it off that, you know, God moved into our neighborhood, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or you could say he tabernacled among us, that God moved into our neighborhood. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, puts it. Love that. And then Jesus came to give true festival joy that the first miracle was at this wedding. And, and, that, and then he came to bring us life. And the end of the story ends with this great wedding feast where us, the bride of the church, we, we celebrate with our bridegroom, Christ. And then Jesus offers eternal life in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that whoever, from whatever background, whatever has been done to you, whatever you've done, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, Jesus must go through Samaria. And he knows the Samaritan woman, and she has a sketchy past, but he sees through all that, and he offers her living true water, and she becomes this great evangelist and says, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. And then many of her people from her village believed that Jesus is Lord. In John chapter 5, you see that Jesus brings healing to the man who couldn't walk. He was lame, and she says, do you want to be healed? Jesus asked that same question to us. In John 6, we see that Jesus is our provision and our peace. As Jesus takes the broken pieces of that little boy's lunchables and he feeds the 5,000. And then, and then he's our peace as, as he walks on the water to the disciples who are in the middle of a storm and they're terrified. And he, he, he walks towards them and he brings his peace with them. And then peace be still and the storms are calmed. In John 7, we get this whole idea about thirsting and he says that if you, if you follow me, if you walk in my truth, out of you will flow streams of living water. This was to be the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come. Jesus pointed that day that after his ascension, everyone will have the Holy Spirit, not just a select few. Like in the Old Testament, you might see Samson or, or Moses or Daniel or Elijah, just a few people who had the Holy Spirit. But now that gift is available to each and every follower of Christ. What an amazing promise. And then John 8, we talked about this. In the middle of this huge festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, where people would come in to remember that once they, they wandered and they followed the pillar of flame uh, by night when they were in the, uh, in, in the wilderness for 40 years, and they remember this by lighting these huge candles that would light up the whole city. And in that moment when they're lighting these giant bowls of oil on fire, these giant uh, candle stands, Jesus stands up and says that he is the light of the world. I am the I am that led you out of slavery and bondage. I am the light of the world. And then immediately after that, light goes into the world by bringing healing by the, the man who was born blind. And last week we talked about that, how uh, we're all broken. But that's how the light gets out. 
And as we allow Jesus' light in us and to flow through us, that light is meant to go into the world. But it's not an accident Jesus asked the man to, to wash his eyes out in the pool called scent. We are the sent ones. We are to bring light. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean that Jesus is our good shepherd. Tim Keller, one of my favorite uh, theologians, pastors from New York City, he, he talks about this passage of, of the good shepherd. And if you grew up in the church, you probably heard this talked about that Jesus is the shepherd. Maybe even your parents had some artwork of, of Jesus as a shepherd. But I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, of all the I am statements that Jesus makes, there's about seven in the Gospel of John, they're all impersonal. I'm light, I'm bread, I'm, I'm the vine. Except this one. Of all the animal husbandry terms he could have used, raising cattle, horses, chickens, the most intimate and comprehensive is the relationship between sheep and shepherd. He is giving a wonderful insight into not just what Jesus does for us, but how Jesus feels towards us. I love that. This picture of, of, of the shepherd. And in Jesus' day, um, See, we're a little removed from that because a lot of us don't, probably don't know a lot of shepherds. But in, in, in this time, everyone knew shepherds. You know, a lot of times the, the youngest in the family, that was his responsibility. They knew, you know, some of their, their Old Testament heroes, Moses and, and David, they were shepherds once upon a time. And so everyone in this context kind of knew what a shepherd was, what a shepherd did, uh, and just that intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep. See, I think uh, we're at a little bit of dis- disadvantage um, you know, even like, like my dad grew up on a family farm in Iowa, and, you know, they had a much closer relationship. And, and what's happened over the last, you know, several decades is these big corporations have moved in and become these huge operations where there's no longer kind of a personal connection as much between the kind of that, even that farmer and the livestock. And so even now, maybe we picture these huge, uh, you know, um, cattle ranches or uh, turkey uh, producing places, Whereas we, we, we get, get that out of our mind and, again, think of, you know, a family with just their flock. And that shepherd, he would intimately know his sheep. And, and, and he would identify each one. Uh, even today, uh, shepherds in the Middle East can call out those sheep, and that sheep will know their voice and they will follow him. So that's what we want to keep in mind. So again, maybe, maybe many of us, we grew up with this picture of Jesus. How many of you maybe had some kind of artwork like this, you know, uh, growing up in your house? Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. You know, it, it, it's, it's not very practical for a shepherd, I think, to dress that way. And I don't know why Jesus is always white. He, he, he was Middle Eastern. But, you know, uh, at least he doesn't have a glowing halo around him. But we get this kind of picture of kind of sweet, sensitive Jesus. And, and yes, he was. But... In this, I want us to get kind of this picture out of our heads and, and think more about what it would have really been like. And in, in this context, this is, this is a shepherd uh, in, in northern Africa right now, uh, maybe the Kenya area, and, and in younger, leading his sheep. Um, one theologian said when, when he saw shepherds taking their sheep out, it looked like a warrior uh, dressed for battle. And, and even now, a lot in the Middle East, and especially in, in Northern Africa, a lot of the shepherds wear red. And I was reading one firsthand account, and they said, why do you wear red? And they said, well, we think the lion is able to see the color red. And we want the lion to know that this, shep- that this um, flock has a shepherd, that, that they are protected. That's what I want us to think in our minds that our shepherd wears red, to let everyone know, hey, this flock has a shepherd. They are protected. 
N.T. Wright, when he talks about just this idea of leadership, he says, you know, in the Bible, uh, oftentimes use this metaphor of that a good leader to his people was like that of a shepherd. And he says this, says, in the Bible, the picture of the shepherd with his sheep is frequently used to refer to the king and his people. In the modern world, we don't think of rulers and leaders in quite that way. We think of rulers as people running big companies or of presidents of banks and transnational corporations. We think of people sitting behind desks, dictating letters or chairing meetings. Often such people are quite removed from most of those who work in the organization. They seldom see them face to face and probably don't know the names of very many. But in the Bible, the ideal king is pictured as a shepherd in Ezekiel 34, perhaps modeled on the shepherd boy David, who became the king after God's own heart. In a world where they knew about the intimate contact and trust between a shepherd and sheep, this was their preferred way of talking about kingship. This biblical model of shepherd and sheep, of a leader knowing his people, man, I just think that's so true. I'm going to get on my church soapbox for a second here, but I just, I think the way God designed his church is that a shepherd should know his people. And I just, I think we've, we've lost the plot when churches get to the point where the person on stage teaching has no idea who he's teaching to, who has no idea the, the, sh- the sheep in his flock. There's supposed to be this intimate connection between shepherd and sheep. That's God's plan. That's God's desire. Well, let's dive in. Uh, how is Jesus a shepherd? Number one, he leads them. John 10, 1-3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, this man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When a shepherd had his flock of sheep, there was really kind of two ways that uh, he would bed down those sheep at night. If they were back in town, you know, smaller villages, they would have these common enclosures where there would be a gatekeeper and, and a larger pen, and then all the different shepherds for those families, they would kind of put all their flocks in there together. And so they'd all be mixed up together with the one gatekeeper watching the gate. So then if you and I went there, we'd probably be like, how's this going to work? Like all their sheep are mixed up together. Well, the shepherd, he knows his sheep so well. He knows each individual characteristic. Oftentimes he'd have little nicknames for him. You know, it's like, ah, oh, there's Stumpy, you know, there's Runty, there's, you know, whatever it might be. And he would then call that out the name of those sheep. And the sheep knew the voice of their shepherds. And so in that mix of all the different flocks together, they would follow the shepherd out. But the gatekeeper would only open up kind of that larger pen for the actual shepherds. Anyone else trying to get in there, the gatekeeper would keep out. So Jesus is saying, you know, he is the true shepherd. The gatekeeper allows him in and he's going to call out his sheep by, uh, by name. And so that, that's that picture right here. And, he, and he, he leads them out. How is Jesus a shepherd? He leads them and then he names them. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Again, he would individually call out these sheep. They'd hear his name and, and they'd follow him out. They'd, they'd follow his leading. In the Old Testament, 
Uh, there's a lot more value given to names than I think what we have today. Oftentimes, God would, would give someone a name which was more have to do with your purpose and your identity. And a lot of times we see that you can't name yourself. That has to come from some outside source. Well, Jesus, he names his sheep. And, and he knows them. And he says, you know, you are the rock, or, or you are my beloved, or whatever that might be. And the difference, too, between how the shepherd leads in the Middle East versus kind of our context today is oftentimes, you know, we use these big trucks or sheepdogs to drive the sheep forward. But in this Middle Eastern context, the shepherd would, would lead. He, he wouldn't drive them. He would lead the way and say, come, follow me. And then the sheep would go behind him as he's leading. The good shepherd, Jesus, he also protects the flock. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So now, I told you there are, there are two ways kind of that the sheep would be enclosed. If you're in town, that kind of this common enclosure or pen, but if they were out finding pasture and the shepherd wasn't able to kind of bring the sheep back and they were out for multiple nights, that shepherd, he, he would build a little enclosure where it would, it would be, you know, um, almost all the way closed in, maybe some rocks or something with some maybe thorny branches on the outside with one opening. And actually, shepherds still do this today. I was reading one of my commentaries, and this New Testament scholar had gone to this region of the Middle East, and he was talking to a man who was not a believer in Jesus at all, and he was looking at his kind of sheep pen. There was no door on the outside, and he says, uh, you know, how are the sheep protected? You know, what's here to protect? There's no door. And this man just said, no, I'm the door. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, no, I am the door. And this man was not a believer in Jesus, didn't read his Bible, and yet he's quoting scripture. See, what would happen is, again, you'd have this big enclosure, and so what the shepherd would do is, is he would then, he'd lay down, and he'd go to sleep, you know, in that doorway. Because if any wild animal wanted to get into the sheep, they would have to go through the shepherd. He actually acted as the door. So this is what Jesus is saying, that he is the one who protects his sheep. He is the door. And, and when he talks about, then they, they follow me and they find pasture. That's life that's abundantly. And that he leads them to where they need to go. But Jesus is our protector. And then he knows them. He knows his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I love that Jesus sharing, how do I know my sheep? He says, in the same way that the Father and I know each other, and the Father and I are one, that we have existed since eternity past in, in perfect harmony with one another, I love how someone described it that, that if you want to describe God, it's, it's the love between a father and a son that has always existed. And if that love between them had a personality, that would be the Holy Spirit. And so the three in one, this, this 
symbol of, of a father loving a son from all eternity past, that is what God is. And Jesus says the way that the relationship that father and I have, that's what I have with my sheep, that I know them that intimately. Man, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. I'm a big fan of kind of obscure, older literature. Uh, and, and so one of my favorite uh, kind of older books are uh, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Anyone read Sherlock Holmes? Graydon? Read it? Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, he's always solving these mysteries, and he's super, super smart. Uh, if, if you ever follow Star Trek, a uh, little known fact, maybe you, don't, maybe you don't know, Spock is actually supposedly a descendant from, on his human side from Sherlock Holmes, which I think is just kind of cool. Uh, that's, that's super nerd talk. But uh, he, here in Sherlock Holmes, um, he talks about there's this um, kind of this mystery going on, and there's this kind of old lumpy metal that someone had found and, 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 and why was it someone was like willing to kill for it. So we ascended to his study and he laid the debris before me. I could understand his regarding it as of small importance when I looked at it for the metal was almost black and the stones lusterless and dull. I rubbed one of them on my sleeve, however, and it glowed afterwards like a spark in the dark hollow of my hand. The metal work was in the form of a double ring, but it had been bent and twisted out of its original shape. You must bear in mind, said I, that when the royal family at last fled, they probably left many of their most precious possessions buried behind them with the intention of returning for them in more peaceful times. My ancestor, Sir Ralph Musgrave, this is the guy he's talking to, was a prominent cavalier and the right-hand man of Charles II in his wanderings, said my friend, Sherlock Holmes. Ah, indeed, I answered. Well, now, I think that really should give us the last link that we wanted. I must congratulate you on coming into the possession, though in rather a tragic manner, of a relic which is of great intrinsic value, but even greater importance as a historical curiosity. What is it then, he gasped in astonishment. It is nothing less than the ancient crown of the kings of England. This piece of metal that seemed full of mud and had no shine to it. Sherlock Holmes figured out what it actually was, why it was valuable. It was, it was this ancient relic of the, the kings of England. And, but that was kind of hidden. It was buried but see, our shepherd Jesus, he knows us, but he knows our true worth. He knows who we truly are. He knows your potential. He knows that you are an eternal soul that is going to exist forever. And the potential in you to become like Jesus, that you have value and dignity and worth. Here, Mosaic, we believe every single human has value and dignity and worth. I love C.S. Lewis says that, you know, we're all on this eternal trajectory. We've never met a normal human because we are all eternal beings. And if our backs are towards Jesus, what that means is our trajectory forever is away from everything that is good and true and light and holy. And so C.S. Lewis says, if then you met that person, you would think it was the most horrible of horrors you've ever seen. Because that person has turned his back on all that is good and light and true and, and loving. Or someone who's on the trajectory of becoming like Jesus and filled with the love of the Father, that if you saw that person as they are growing and changing, you know, down the road towards eternity, you would be tempted to bow down and worship them because they are so much reflecting the light of their creator. I just think it's, it's such a, a good picture to remind each and every one of us that all of us are on this eternal trajectory. None of us are just normal humans. We all have incredible worth and value because we reflect our creator and are made in his image. 
Jesus knows your true value. He knows what you are worth. Maybe today you feel worthless. Maybe you're watching online and you just feel like no one would miss you if you were gone, but you do have value and dignity and worth. And it doesn't matter how people have harmed you or the mistakes that you've made. You, you can't mess up so much that you change who you are. You may, like, like that ancient crown, be kind of covered in some mud and, and, and it's hiding who you really are. But it doesn't change the, the gold and, and the gems inside of who you really are. Not only does Jesus know us, but he values us to the point of sacrifice. This is the last point here. How is Jesus a shepherd? He sacrifices for them. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus, he sacrifices for us. He, he lays down his life for us. He wasn't, you know, his life wasn't taken from him. He, he laid it down because he values us to the point of sacrifice. So what? So what does this mean for you and I and, 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 and following Jesus? Number one, follow Jesus comprehensively. That means in every area of your life. See, a sheep had to rely on Jesus for, for everything going on in his life. You can start playing. Okay, thanks. You know, the, the, the shepherd was his physician, was his protector, was his guide. In the same way, Jesus says, I'm your shepherd king. Give me every area of your life. I want it all, not just little pieces. Follow Jesus unconditionally, wherever he leads. You know, one of the most famous passages, uh, maybe the most famous chapter in all of scripture is the 23rd Psalm. David wrote this as a shepherd. You know, he says, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does it mean to follow Jesus unconditionally? It's to know that those right paths are just as much in those green fields as they are in the dark valleys. We saw a couple of chapters earlier in John that Jesus sends his disciples out ahead of him on the Sea of Galilee into the storm. And then Jesus comes in the middle of that storm to bring peace. So it's understanding that there are times we're walking through the green valleys and life is great and we're going to trust him unconditionally. But then there are times when we walk through the, the dark valleys that that's just as much a part of his plans as we're in those green pastures. And then finally, follow Jesus personally. The, the beautiful thing about the 23rd Psalm is the sheep 
ends being a friend with the shepherd. See, Jesus doesn't want just obedience. He wants fellowship. He doesn't want you just to do good deeds so that, you know, he doesn't strike you down or, you know, to get, you know, God off your back of just kind of leave me alone. He wants fellowship. He wants relationship with you. Jesus is the good shepherd who became the sacrificial lamb so we could be raised up and become a friend of God. Our Jewish brothers and sisters this week celebrate Passover. And it's that kind of, we've talked about this, kind of the defining moment of the Old Testament is when God's people were in slavery and bondage. And God's going to lead them out into freedom through the Exodus. And right before that, though, he's going to send the destroyer. And to, in order for that to pass over, you have to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood on that lamb on the doorpost of your house. But there need to be that sacrifice of that lamb, of that sheep. Well, Jesus is the good shepherd who once and for all laid down his life. That he painted his blood on the doorpost of the universe so that all are, can have the destroyer pass over. They can find fellowship and relationship with God. Our shepherd was struck, but then was raised up. The beautiful thing about Psalm 23 is it ends with Jesus preparing a table for us. The sheep becomes a friend. Again, what a beautiful picture. It's sitting down at the table, dining with Jesus, your shepherd who sacrificed, who went to the cross for you. This week, as, as we head towards Easter, may you know that your good shepherd, he, he leads, he guides, he protects he sacrificed himself so that you and I could be friends with God, so that you and I could sit at the table and enjoy fellowship and friendship with God forever. One final thing, become a shepherd yourself and point to the one who named you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have been adopted in his family. We've been called out. We have been named by Jesus. We've been given identity. He knows us. He loves us. And now if, if we want to be like Jesus, then we need to become shepherds ourselves to point to that one who named us. See, when our volunteers are back there and they're serving in the toddlers, they're not just doing babysitting. You know, they're getting down on eye level with these two and three-year-olds and saying, you have value and worth. You are a child of God, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus made you. When our teachers are back there teaching our elementary kids, right now they're going through a series on peace. Again, they're not just trying to keep kids occupied so we can worship and, and study God's word in here. They're saying to those second graders, those fifth graders, hey, I know it's been a, a tough year and you're maybe filled with anxiety. We're gonna have some fun, but also... There's peace through Jesus. You know, it, we have kids, uh, you know, who come sometimes, they lost their dad in January. He died. And it's saying that, yeah, you're going to see him again someday. That's the promise of heaven. And you have an a heavenly father who loves you. When, when, when you're out front greeting, you're not just filling some needs so that people know that, you know, there are actually people here in the building. It's, it's saying, Hey, I see you. I I'm so glad that you are here. You are welcome. Come into fellowship with Jesus and with us. When Anne leads her, her evening Bible study with 
with uh, the ladies. She's not just doing that to pass her time. It's, she's investing in those women. She's teaching them. She's, she's sharing this message of Jesus. When Kelly Leonard, who's back there, when she's teaching her kids at her job, uh, you know, she's not just earning a paycheck. She's showing dignity and value and worth. And so whatever you do, you know, in your work, you can do that and as a shepherd and show dignity and worth and love and value in everything that you do as we model ourselves after Jesus, the good shepherd who loved us enough to lay down his life for us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go into our, our final song. Jesus, I thank you that you're here with us, that you are good. <laughs> God, thank you in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. You are secure and uh, God, just you are good. And I just thank you again for the opportunity to gather together uh, in person and online. And God, thank you for new friendships and, and, and just how you're putting us together to form your work of art, your mosaic. Jesus, I pray that this week as, as we head in towards Easter and Good Friday, that we just have this picture of you, our good shepherd, who laid down your life for us so that we could be raised up and become friends of God. Jesus, just let us be, just have awe that you love us so much and you welcome us. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me uh, as now we're gonna go on for our final closing song. Also, just a quick reminder, uh, if, for those of you who call Mosaic home and you'd like to give back uh, through tithes and offerings, you can do that online anytime. We also have an offering box in the back. Uh, our church is supported completely by those who call Mosaic Church home. We just say thank you so much for your generosity. It allows us to do ministry, um, uh, to, to love and serve people. So thank you so much for that. You can give online anytime at mymosaicchurch.com. And we're just glad that uh, you're here today. So let's go out if you're singing this last song.